0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for another session of dedication. Fans remember the Base City Rollers, the only Bay City Rollers-themed podcast in the world. Hosted by Bay City Rollers Fan Events, and I'm Suze, and co-hosting is Laura. Hello, Laura. Hey, Suze. Great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. We've had a busy day again today at Bay City Roller Fan Events. There's a lot to say. <laughs> a lot to do a year out a lot to do and we're we're on it and things are going well and it's exciting and I'm loving the excitement of everyone and just the response we're getting it just seems to be growing and growing and growing and you know it's been a long time since we had a fan event so we all want to see each other again (laughs) we just do it's just so much fun but anyway in addition to all the fun we're having with Tartan Day Parade we did a podcast today And, um, Laura, I just love how, um, the, the secular nature of our podcast and how happenstance brings guests to us. (laughs) Oh, definitely. It's, um, definitely, uh, it's a small world comes to mind Mm -hmm. because you never know. Sometimes our inspiration, like we know exactly who we want to get and other times it just falls into your lap. And and this kind of happened. I was having lunch with a friend of mine in Asbury Park a few weeks ago, and we were talking, and we're music lovers, and we were talking music, and um, the podcast came up, and you know, um, they said, "Wait, we know someone," <laughs> and, and it just kind of happened, and they brought this person um, to us. And today, um, we we spoke with Brian Bannon, and he's like I said, a mutual friend of a mutual friend, and he. He's our next guest. Um, He's a bit of a renaissance man in the music industry and has worked as a stage technician, a studio engineer, recording and mixing engineer, um, both pre-production and album production. He worked um, at live mixing as a live mixing engineer, um, front of house monitors with the likes of people like Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, Little Steven, Glenn Tilbrick from Squeeze, The Rascals, The Temptations, Four Tops, The Marshall Tucker Band, Warren Zevon, Davy Johansson, also known as Buster Poindexter, Gary U.S. Bonds, Alexa Ray, Joel, Sly Stallone, uh, uh, Gerald Levert, George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, Um, and uh, Bernie Worrell of Parliament and Funkadelic. Just to drop a few names there, (laughs) Um, that's a lot. I I, I had to catch my breath. Um, And he sat down with us and and told us about the time that he worked with the Rollers. He worked with them um, during the Duncan era while they were recording their highly acclaimed album, Ricochet, also known as the Brown Bag album. This was, of course, after the band had a lineup change, name change, and were really going for a big, big sound change. Um, They were exploring their own style of music, possibly for the first time with Elevator and Vox, and then finally with Ricochet. So um, we had a chance to talk with Brian today um, about his experience with that. So we're going to let everyone else hear that. What do you think, Laura? I can't wait for people to hear his stories. They were wonderful. Okay, so we're just going to patch that in because um, it was recorded earlier, and um, away we go. Okay, okay, all right. Here we go. Well, thank you, first of all, for agreeing to do this. Um, and, and I'm Sue. Laura, so I'm from I'm Philadelphia, Fox, West, Massachusetts. All right,
1: we're all connected here.
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. Very nice to meet you. We're all connected. <laughs> so um how did it come about that you'd well, be working um, with the rollers
1: it was a funny bit of circumstance they had uh, were coming off of uh, actually a hiatus they had all their legal problems and things and i um they got picked up by a management company it was david sonnenberg's um, management company uh once they got a lot of their stuff sorted out and it was and it looked like they were going to be able to uh, record and go back and play. They, uh, they were picked up in the States by David Sonnenberg. I had a connection to that, David Sonnenberg's productions and management uh, through Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, uh, a New Jersey based band. Yeah. Oh, sure. And um, I had, I had oh, friends. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine was the sound man for, for the Jukes, and a friend of mine. Steve Becker was the drummer for the Jukes. And I would go to shows and that, uh, because we worked the New Jersey club scene for, for a long time before that. And if you graduated and you got the tour, that was, Jukes were one of the places where you could go. And so I would go to Jukes shows and do things, but they had no real place for me. Uh, everybody, all the jobs were taken and everything was going, but I had a, a relationship with them. So when they when they picked up the rollers, right. they knew that they were gonna need um, um, some help getting stuff together and getting it, or getting it reorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the ones they considered uh, for a couple different reasons, uh, besides the fact that I you know, understood music and understood you know, uh, music equipment and bands and stuff like that. Um, I also was working in a, in a small demo recording studio in North Jersey, which was, um, it was called All Star Sound Studios. And it was owned by the, the drummer, Steve Becker, drummer from the Asbury Jukes and Jay Vicari, the sound man from Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. And then other than them, it was just mm. me. So it was the three of us that, that did this recording studio. And the management company said, this would be a great place to work out the songs and get all the kinks uh, um, roughed out, out of the way before they went into the studio to actually go record uh, what later became Ricochet. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. So, okay. So, were you were you aware of their previous success of the boy band oh, sure. when you when you came on board, or sure. did you have to like kind of? Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean it would be kind of that, hard yeah. not
1: to. As a, a music lover, anybody listened to the radio, you heard the Bass City Rollers. There was no question about that. Yeah, I think that was a little before we actually called them boy bands, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they were that the boy is very band true. before there very boy true. bands, but yeah, very I, true. I was. Yeah, they they are absolutely. the original boy band. So probably. I was aware. There's, there's there's no question. I mean, you wouldn't call aware. the Beatles. Uh, um, it actually kind of struck me because they were saying, "Hey, listen, we have you know, we can we could really use you. Um, we just you know signed the Bay City Rollers. Would you like to work with the Bay City Rollers?" And to me, that was like you know mind blowing. It was out of the blue. So I was like, "Sure, sure. absolutely, let's do it." <laughs>
0: Now, now, by this time, I mean, they had released two albums before Ricochet, Elevator, which was critically acclaimed, but poorly received commercially. Um, and then another album, um, Vox, which I think was only released in Germany and Japan. So it kind of looked like, you know, they were, they were going through like an image change, a name change. They were trying to be seen as, you know, rockers as opposed to a boy band. Um, were you aware of that they were involved in that kind of a transition? And if you were, um, what kind of challenges did you think that the well, band were facing, if any? Sure. With that baggage? Well, there's a lot you know of expectations.
1: I mean. Whenever, yeah, I mean they were on TV a lot and they had pop hits and they were like a pop band and of course mm. you can't escape the plaid. And then, mm. so whenever that's the image that you have, um, you kind of need to grow up a little bit at certain times and they were looking to grow up. I believe now I, I had no idea that that sure. was a specific goal or what they were planning on doing until we actually uh, in the studio. And uh, it was at that point um, they had already been settled in, in the house in, um, in South Orange Maplewood area. And they had come down, they had come down to the recording right. studio the first day uh, now the recording studio was in Oreado right on the East Orange Bloomfield border, probably about I don't know, 10, 15 minutes mo- at the most away from the house. And um, so that very first day, oh. um, when we got their equipment in and got the introductions out of the way, and and they got a chance to start playing, I I started listening and I'm saying,
0: this doesn't sound like Saturday Night. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, no, no, indeed. What were your first impressions of, of the sound that you were hearing? Were you yeah, like, wow, absolutely. I mean, surprised? The exposure or... that
1: I had to, from the band before, which, again, is basically just, you know, top 40 radio and without actually ever working with them. Uh, my first mm-hmm. impression was um, they were much better musicians than I expected them to be. Um, Interesting. You know, okay. With, with, with mm. that, you, you never know, you know. Can people play? Can they not play? Or you know, how much of it? How much of it was done in the studio? Sure. Was it all done by them? Was it done with other musicians? And uh, I was absolutely um, thought it was awesome because uh, each one of them played multiple instruments. Um, they all were um, very, very good with their instruments. As a matter of fact, uh, so that was the first thing that struck me, and then the actual actual complexity of the music they were writing, um, was far from the basic, you know, three or four chord, uh, pop hits that I had heard earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No question. It was serious. It. <laughs> Did you have a sense of, like, who maybe was, was taking on the leader role? I mean, Duncan was the, the lead singer and he was the frontman, but was there, what was the dynamic with them? Like, who kind of was, like, leading the, the arm, um, I guess, for lack of a
1: better word. Well, a lot of it, it actually was very well spread, uh, spread across the board as far as um, how things went. Like, there was no, like, we walked in the studio and somebody, you know, one of them said, All right, this is what we're doing and this is how it's going. It was all as a band. And um, clearly, a lot of Duncan's influences there, um, some of the stuff that he had done from his previous band, Rabbit. And um, and and some of the, yeah. the fact that he was the uh, going to be handling the lead vocals, you know, there's still there's still songs for Eric and there's still songs for Woody singing in that, uh, but but Duncan was going to be handling the main stay of the singing, and um, he's an accomplished guitar player as well. So that clearly came through in the writing, but I oh, yeah. wouldn't say um, you know that made you know anybody the leader of the band. In fact. Um, I think, um, I think it was pretty well balanced. Um, 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 so
0: they were well, actually yeah, through yeah. collaboration. And
1: then you know there was a, there was there was songs yeah. from
0: we're... Uh, from multiple multiple writers and in, in, uh, on there being done. And were the songs all, all already in the can, or was there still reworks oh, there going on when you got into the and studio? They, they
1: probably, and, and I knew you were going to ask me this, and I can't think of any of them for the for the life. Oh, of sorry. But there, um, there probably were almost as many songs that didn't make the record as far. As oh wow! The ones that made the record, they yeah you.
0: So there, there, I mean, yeah, so there could that's, have been another that's record. That's
1: true with any record. You always try a whole bunch of things to see what things sound like yeah. and how they're working and, um, you know, did the song develop correctly? Does the song fit with the other songs? There's a lot of considerations you put together. So there's, you know, there was a number of songs that were put out yeah. there um, and before it settled into what was actually going to be on Ricochet.
0: do you know whose decision it was to release ricochet as the brown bag album um it it was getting airplay and i know in college radio and other stations and people were like wow who is this they were really excited about it and then when they found out who it was it kind of died a death like i know it never made sense to uh, me
1: it seems kind of strange because if you like it you like it right you know that's the way it should be right um, I think it's a smart move. Exactly. Uh, specifically, whose particular idea it was, I can't really say. That was um, the stuff about um, the managerial things and how things were released in the press and the public. I, I had no uh, nothing to do with any of that end of it. I thought it was really smart um, because when you go into it with a bunch of stereotypes about what a band, is, quote, unquote, is or supposed to sound like um, – you know, you'd be predisposed right off the bat. You might not even get anybody to listen uh, because they've already pigeonholed them as, oh, that's that pop bubblegum band from the 70s, you know. And now there's this is clearly not popping bubblegum. And, bubble yeah. gum. and uh, <laughs> so I think, I think that it made a lot of mm-hmm. sense to be not able at to all. do that. But uh, I was a little disappointed as well that they couldn't have been, it couldn't have been accepted for just for the music for what it was. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. I mean, it was genius to release it that way. It's just unfortunate. It should have had the, you know, the opposite effect once they found it out it it who it was. Idea, you know? But
1: it was a good idea.
0: <laughs> it was a great idea. And what was the plan with CBS? Did they think that they could do something with them you or know, was it see, kind of like a one and done deal? I
1: really don't. I don't know what you know, contracts were or I don't know what management yeah. deal was of this. I just knew that they were going to take a chance um, David Sonnenberg and his management team uh, had a proven record. I mean, at that time, he was handling things like uh, like Meatloaf was one of his big things, and that had just come out like two or three years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he managed Outside Johnny, Suzanne Fellini. Uh, there was a number of them. I, c- I can't recall all of them. Uh, his office is in New York. We would go in and, uh, and, and plan. We planned the tour there and what was going to happen there and who was going to go
0: and and all that so i mean
1: they were actively involved but specifically you know what was the deal with the record company i don't know
0: you know yeah and and if and if the record would have skyrocketed oh, well there oh, probably sure, would have then, been a different answer yeah, to that question yeah. anyway right yeah yeah there would have been some renegotiations for sure um now i know you listen to joyce's podcast and we love that because you know that was such a fun that was our first one and, and it was so much fun um, years later, Joyce and I happened to be in that area. We were at the Clearwater Music Festival, the Pete Seeger one. And she said, you know, we're near Maplewood. Do you want to drive by the house? I'm like, oh, my God, that would be so much fun. So we oh roll up goodness. and there's an open house. <laughs> what are the odds? They, you know, So you Absolutely. know we pretended know we were prospective buyers so cool. and we went in there. So... Now, I mean, it, and I, and I almost made it through the whole thing without without blowing our cover, you know. But you know, I was excited. So the basement was that set up like an in home studio because it looked like in some of the pictures, well, and yeah, also they, when we was, were in there, there was always space.
1: instruments and things around, and um, that's where you could go work things out. Most of that stuff got done in, in at All Star Sound, though. Uh, but there was clearly there was clearly a space there in yeah. the house to be able to. Um, to be able to be creative and bang around and make some noise a little bit there too. In a neighborhood that's not used to a lot of noise, by the way, (laughs) there's definitely quiet.
0: It was definitely a quiet. Oh yeah. Beautiful. I mean, absolutely absolutely beautiful house. But um, when I did blow the cover, because I just couldn't resist asking questions, she did say that there was a rock band that lived there and were true rock stars and had wild parties, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And we know that, you know, there was a revolving door with the fans and women. And hey, that (laughs) gives some street cred to me as real rockers. Go for it. How... How in the world did the fans find out, A, where the frig they live and the phone number? That phone rang nonstop. Somebody
1: will always find it out. Uh, There's no question about it. But um, the boys like to go out. There's no question about that. So I think once they settled in, they went and checked out and saw where they were and what what was going on and uh, where to go out. And I'm sure that... Uh, they had a lot to do with people knowing where they were locally, at least. You know, I don't think it was, I don't think it was put out there and announced, but I mean, if mm, you were to go, yeah. there was, there was two, I can't think of the name of the one that was more of like the local bar that they used to go to, I don't remember that. And another one was a, was a Houlihan's, and that one was in West yeah. Orange.
0: A Hands. Uh, that's... Yeah, the- <laughs> This was Although a, it back was in an the day, day it was that was a the quiet. John
1: no, it was, a, it, was a, it was large it was a, a very big one yeah. it was it it was ideally situated because it was literally you had to pass it to go to the recording studio um, oh. and so it was about a half a mile from oh, the that's convenient studio. it was easy to go either on your way
0: or on the way back or both <laughs> for that matter <laughs> yeah for that matter yeah depending on what the mood was right yeah Joyce wanted a- Joyce was invited to go out with them, and she she declined. She wanted to know, you know where was I where <laughs> well, was I invited uh, we'll to go? So, I mean, who hands a, it is. I cool, like that. Like
1: a little Irish pub, I think. And I'm trying to remember what the name of it was and where it was, but I believe it was um, I believe it was I believe it was in South Orange, and um, it wasn't far from like the Seton Hall University campus because that's in South Orange. And um, and it was just like Ooh. a little Irish pub and they would like to go there as well. But the, the hula hands was key because it was literally right down the street. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: very convenient. Convenient, which is which is always good. Um, so the house in Maplewood, did um, you no, did you ha- no, live I'm, there I'm, or, I'm, I'm, or were you just good. there I just sometimes? There.
1: I live uh, and I am right now where I grew up in Northern New Jersey. I still uh, I am mean, living in Northern New Jersey, Right now, right now, as I talk to you, but that's I'm not that close. Probably great. about, I don't know, ten to fifteen minutes away from that house right now. Oh wow! Yeah, and where? Is that
0: right? Yeah, I wonder. I'm I'm sure I wonder they they a, if they got but, a um, sale. Yeah, I'm no, sure where, they got a sale. they
1: no, where I live, where the rec- <laughs> I live, uh, probably about fifteen minutes from the recording studio. They were about ten minutes from the recording studio, just in a little different direction. So, I mean, it's right. It's all it's all very close. And the recording studio. Not, so you're no, not, I, in, the Asp- never, you're not in the Asbury area anymore. i was always from North Jersey. I yeah. was always closer to Manhattan Doctor. than I am to the shore. Manhattan was about 30 minutes. The shore is about an hour for me. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. So um, do you have any any fun stories you want to share about hanging out uh, the house? Like I do recall Gerald Gerald the, Ghost? the Ghost, but I can't. I,
1: the, those stories were mainly theirs. They weren't, like, I had no, I'd never had a, no, I never saw or had any ghost stories. So you stories never saw Gerald? Uh, they would have ghost stories. There's no question about it. So I do recall, I do recall them talking about that and saying that. Oh, yeah. All uh, oh, this place has got a ghost and this and that. But uh, I thought it had to do more with scotch than it didn't have to do with actual ghosts.
0: <laughs> well... You know, and and that was Alan no, that talked quite a bit about yeah. Gerald the
1: ghost. And, you know, right off the yeah. right off the bat, that it was. Says
0: something so you know what I really
1: wanted to talk about at all. Out of <laughs> out of the, everybody in the band, he was probably the brother. Alan and Derek were probably the most quiet, uh, without question.
0: Mm. Well, I think Gerald maybe freaked him out a little bit. I'm not sure. <laughs> You know what I really want to ask about, and it's just a weird, a weird fascination for me personally, the Turtle Brook Hotel. Like, we know Eric would go there, like, on the reg. Like, why? I mean, maybe for the obvious reasons of privacy, if he's with a lady or something. No, it's much it simpler It couldn't have just that. been that. Was it, was it?
1: Around the, it, was, it was literally, I mentioned that oh, the school okay. was, was like a half a mile from the recording studio. Well, the turtle the turtle Brook in was a quarter of a mile from the Hands. yeah <laughs> so literally the, the, the turtle Brook in was kind of like around the corner and, and and less than a mile away from the recording studio and and literally two blocks away from the hula hands so it was a kind of put thing where if you didn't want to go all the way back to the house or if it was not that it was far or if you just wanted some private time or maybe um, his parts weren't what were yeah. being worked on in the studio that day, or that at that time, they were going to need him in a little while, or he finished, and that it was literally right around the corner. So, that it was a lot of it had to do with the convenience of the location. So, the, the recording studio now, and I want to give a distinction between when I'm a recording studio because there's two studios. The one studio that I worked in. Was in, was in East Orange and that was like 15 minutes away. The studio that they, they actually recorded the album in was okay. the House of Music in West Orange. And that one, um, very famous uh, recording studio, lots of um, big stars came through there. I mean, like Carol King and, mm-hmm. and Sticks and Cool and the Gang and um, Meatloaf wow. and Southside mm-hmm. Johnny, many, many of them um, um, recorded in that studio. Uh, pleasant valley way and that's this, this song another pleasant valley sunday uh came out of oh, yeah. came out of that it was uh it was written that's, about that's great, this uh yeah. you know suburban uh area in town and this is when uh, when carol king was at the house of music and she wrote she wrote that then and it wound up being on mm-hmm. monkeys uh, who, who might have been the first boy band now that we think about it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah
0: right. first boy slash band. <laughs> I, I, it's just random. I just watched the behind the music on them the other day because that's all we're doing is watching things now, right? And I never saw it before. And yeah. I was like, wow, this is really no, no wild no what happened to them. It's kind, of, anyway, like it, it's kind <laughs> but, of
1: something that would normally come up because if you think, about where the stardom and things come from, it's not that much different than what the guys, uh, what the guys had. It's a similar story. It's,
0: no, they, they had, yeah, parallel, parallel experiences for sure. You know, they all wanted to be seen as real, you know, real musicians, and the the TV aspect of it, and the the um, the image, and all of that. So, yeah, it was definitely. I found it to be very parallel um, by watching it. Um, let's see. I would like to know. Okay, what exactly was your role with Ricochet? So what were when, you? What were your responsibilities? And so when they went what we to work it all for? out, what,
1: they, <laughs> they would come down to the All Star Sound Recording, and that's where I worked. So we would spend a lot of times, and at that point they would be working out parts, figuring out what it's going to be, and basically we recorded the album, and we did everything right there. But it wasn't. For real, it was, this is like to work it all out for what they were mm-hmm. going to do from when they went into the studio. So when they when they pretty much had it all sorted out, at that point, they took the tapes that they recorded at All Star Sound, because it was a, a much smaller studio, much more affordable studio. Uh, and they can spend more time and do things without like blowing okay. a whole budget there. And it was literally right down the street. We had a good working relationship with both the House of Music and with the management company. So it made sense for everybody. So that's where my starting with them. So I would be there day, basically day and night whenever they were booked in. Um, I would, uh, I was a, an assistant engineer mainly. So I'd make sure that all the gear was right, that the, the tapes were up on the machines, that Jay, who was the main um, main engineer uh, on the whole thing, would be ready to go. The guys would be ready to go um, they you know we needed to switch up I'd jump out into the studio, switch up the microphones or you know adjust things, get things together. so I was basically the assistant engineer for all the stuff that we did there and then they took these uh, the, mm-hmm. tape, the master tapes that we had made and brought them up to the house of music. Um, some of the tracks I believe were used. Uh, with some of the things that we recorded and then um, they would overdub on top of them. But I think a lot of them uh, they used as a guide and they started from scratch because, you know, that was, like I said, the House of Music, world-class recording studio, uh, world-class people there too. They were wonderful to work with. Uh, um, they haven't been there in quite some time, but uh, they, they put out a lot of great, great stuff out of the House of Music, no question about it.
0: mm um did you have any involvement with the making of the videos um there are still girls clutching their pearls all that, all, over those videos
1: done, uh oh, all my, my after the um, the records and everything were taken care of. i had nothing to do with any of that i wasn't on any of the video shoots i recall them going out to video shoots and doing things but uh well basically at that point we had shifted gears yeah. um we knew that the record uh, was being, was finished recording and was going to be released and what it was going to look like and what things were. And so on, on my end, uh, they had now said, would you go out on the road and do this? Because I had road experience as well. And um, mm-hmm. so Jay, uh, the sound man, and myself, we said, yes, we'd absolutely do it. Um, we completed the crew by adding a, a good friend, Kevin Buell, um, to the crew, and me and Kevin were basically the, the stage crew for the band, and Jay was like the, the mixing engineer for the band, and we started focusing uh, on that. I mentioned Kevin because, uh, unlike me, he managed to stay in the business for quite some time, about, uh, I'd say, five or six years later. He hooked up with this guitar player from Asbury Park, and he's been working with him for 35 years. you probably heard of him. His name is Bruce Springsteen. Oh
0: wow! <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I heard of him now is, 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 is Kevin the one who connected you with with us because we had a mutual I have a mutual friend with Kevin yeah. and then Kevin said oh it no this Kevin. is the guy you Did really he, want to talk to a was it Kevin
1: it's funny because um yeah we we've been in touch back and forth we wouldn't do it all the time but a few times a year we text back and forth occasional call uh so we've been in touch all this time uh But recently, uh, Kevin's been, Kevin's been, he decided he's going to document a lot of this stuff because he's had one heck of a ride in this crazy music business. And, um, oh, I
0: bet. Just just that area alone. Yeah, I was in, I was Uh at, um, mccloons um two saturdays ago and that's when our mutual friend that's when they put up i brought up the yeah. podcast and i'm like oh you got to talk to these people well, so yeah, it's it was it's small and i love when that happens happened. from that we worked sure.
1: in local bands and club bands and uh we worked our way out of it um obviously he took the he took the correct turn along the way and went but it, we got the reason why we got talking is because kevin like i mentioned was starting to write the stuff down. He wanted to document it for himself and for his family to have, like you know, this crazy path. So he was unclear. He was unclear on a bunch of the things. So he actually Absolutely. called me, up and we spent a couple of hours on the phone um, revamping a few things and some and a bunch of it was the Bay City Roller years. Oh, I love that. Uh, It was basically the first thing that took us out of, like, the local club bands into a recording and touring act. That was my first for that, and it was Kevin's first for that as well. So that was a blast, and uh, that was fun uh, reliving it. And then if we were to go fast forward a little bit, just a couple months after we started talking about it, he says, hey, do you mind if I give you your number or your email? I said, no, go right ahead. I'd be happy to talk to you guys.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Well, could you tell us more about that tour? I mean, to be honest, I was already, mm-hmm. I, I kind of moved on at that point. I think I, you know, either was in <laughs> high school or, you know, real boyfriends happened and things like that. So I didn't even know about, I didn't even know about this tour. We probably would have gone. Sure. I've... But we do have friends who went to the Peppermint Lounge gig. Well, but tell it us wasn't, what that a, tour looked like. And, tour. Like the scope it was, of it.
1: Um... It' kind of like a mini tour. I think it was roughly I want to say it was about five or six weeks on the East Coast, and then we uh, where we were debating about whether or not they were going to continue it with a West Coast tour. So we did the Peppermint Lounge and a bunch of other dates. I remember playing you know um, basically from Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey on all up through uh, New England, and we would do dates. And then when it got really interesting mm-hmm. is that they, they were saying, I, I think we're going to add three weeks in California. So let's let's be ready to go and do everything. So we oh. were had the truck packed with gear. Kevin came up. Kevin was down from the Asbury Park area. He came up, had his stuff ready to go. I was packing my bags ready to go. And we were basically sitting at Riverside Production's office on the Upper West Side, Riverside Drive, waiting to find out, is it on, is it off? Is it on, is it off? Um, oh, wow. And literally, we had to know whether, because if it was going to be on, the first show uh, was going to be at the Roxy in West Hollywood. And uh, and we had to get out there. So we knew we
0: needed you had to to get out there. time to get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we were getting down to the crunch time, literally a matter of hours. Like, if we don't, if you don't say yes now, we physically can't get there in time. And they said yes. So me and Kevin were Kevin were in front of a, a, a twenty four foot twenty-four foot rider rent a truck that had um, that had no air conditioning. And um, oh, yeah. and we had a cassette deck that we had oh. wired in, literally that like somebody pulled out of a car and we have wires dangling and we have wired it in just so that we can listen to some music along the way. And um, we set out from New York City. Yeah. And basically except for food and gas, we just drove. Yeah, so uh, along along Step the on way trucking. Um, wow. something happened with the truck and we found out that it was um, it was broken and we, sh- we, we should have turned it in to rider and switch trucks, but that was gonna take too long. So what we figured out was is if it would last, if we never shut it off. So, we we went. We drove. We would stop. (laughs) We would get gas, and then somebody would have to stay with it because it would be running. And then somebody would somebody would run to the bathroom, grab sandwiches, come out. Oh, that's so. Another guy would go and and do it and come out. And we did that all the way till we got to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And at that point, we were we were shot. We had been driving forever, so we got it. We got a hotel room, and I don't know who went first with not. Oh my god. One of us went in and slept for like two or three hours and took a shower, and the other one, like you know, crashed in front of the truck that we couldn't shut off, and then we switched, so that we would do that, oh my and, and we drove it. All wow. The way in. And about I think we were about three or four blocks from the Roxy when oh. the truck finally gave up and broke down, and we got there in we got there in two and a half days from New York wow. City, oh and they had to pull it. It was, it might have been a record. They had to pull the, another truck up. That might be a record. Move the gear from one truck into the Ooh. other. And we went to like the three or four blocks to be able to bring it to the Roxy and empty the gear into the Roxy and get ready for the first show. And they towed that other truck out of the way. But uh, that was our, our adventure going out there. And it was hot. Like I mentioned, it was August and we went out like route 40, the Southern route. So we were, driving through Oklahoma City and Amarillo, Texas and uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico and Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's, it was hot, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible story. <laughs> I love that. That has to go in yeah. the book, all of that. Well uh, anyway the we wound
1: up doing Let's about do three
0: a weeks, movie. Let's uh, just do a movie. California. <laughs> the Roxy shows
1: were great. Um, um, we got in the night before, and uh, that's when the truck broke down and everything. We did go to the club, and uh, the Knack was playing there that night. <laughs> and so we, we met the guys. We met the guys from the Knack, and we talked with them, and And, was and they, they fi- yeah, they finished. They finished up their shows. Doug, R.I.P. Then, uh, the next we did uh, it was two nights, two shows a night, uh, and the Rollers played. And then we wound up playing a bunch of other places along the way. And the tour, the tour finished up at, uh, at Harrah's in Lake oh, Tahoe. Oh my gosh! And we, it was a great gig. It was a, and it was a week wow, long. Wow, that's a nice it gig. Was perfect after all this craziness. So it wasn't the main stage; it was the cabaret, and it oh, was oh yeah, a, yeah, it was gorgeous. And it was a rotating. That's
0: okay. Track. You have that view. The <laughs> that's <players>. okay. <laughs>
1: uh, the, the rotation oh, was wow. the rollers, the Elvin Bishop group, and then local and then the local cabaret show each thing played one oh, wow. played a 50 minute set the curtain closed t- 10 minutes to switch it over from one band to the other band then the curtain opened who did a 50 minute set the curtain closed 10 minutes to switch it over the cabaret mm. show was singing and dancing was there and that rotation went on you did two rotations a night so there were six shows the so rollers did two. Uh, Belvin Bishop did too, and the rest of the time it was great because there, no in, there was no load There was no loadout. There was no breaking anything down. We literally rolled the equipment off the stage, and then the yeah. rest of the night was spent uh, me and Kevin trying to keep up with the guys uh, drinking scotch and, <laughs> <laughs> and enjoying Tahoe. And, right, and so that was, that was a week of that, <laughs> and uh, and then the to- yeah, and then the, then the tour was over. That sounds like a
0: nice week, actually. Yeah,
1: after the craziness, right? You earned that after that. You earned that after that drive. (laughs) That was two and a half days as well, and we got the heck out of there. And um, we just drove straight on through. We figured we did it three
0: weeks early, and. uh, Yeah. Well, what was what was the turnout like? I mean, what were the crowds like? Were was it, it was mixed? mixed? Was it fans? Um, was, it, was it you, it was you know curiosity? It was mixed. A um, bit of both.
1: There was fans. I mean, there was lots and lots of screaming girls pushing their way up front, and they were at every oh, wow. show. They they wouldn't miss those.
0: <laughs> yeah. So they, we
1: still we still do
0: that. <laughs> there you go.
1: Present company excluded. Uh, <laughs> so there was there was some there was definitely a lot of that. So. <laughs> Anybody that figured out what was going on who it is, they, they managed to get there and do it. So there was plenty. There was plenty of the same faces at all the shows. You could see from the Roxy. Uh, you know, they would make their way to the other venues. I, I can't remember all the other places. I know there was a couple in San Francisco we played and uh, somewhere else. About. But some of the, even the Tahoe, sure. there was some people that made it to every show. They would come by and say hello. And well, yeah, ask, if, ask if we could have some of the guys come out. And I'm mm. like, I told you three cities ago, they're not coming out right now. The show's about to go on, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, the, the protector of the of the, uh, of the the realm. <laughs> sure, sure. There's a lot of that. that. That still goes on today, actually, believe it or not. They still need protection. Um, can you tell us a little bit about each member, like your impression oh, of them, sure. their talents, um, what they brought to the table? I'll,
1: I'll start with Woody, because Woody and I, um, our birthdays are one day apart. So I'm February 20 I'm February twenty fourth, and he's February twenty fifth. Oh, there you go. So him and George, him and him, and he was George my favorite. Harrison were born on the same day. There you go. And um, he's and and i That's right. The youngest, right. I guess he's still the youngest. He's the youngest. Uh, and so he, we were closest in age. I think he's two, three years older than me. So the, when this is all going on, we we're, we're young. I think he was. He, wow. he was 24 and I was like 21. You're a kid. He was 23 wow. and I was like 20, something like that. Yeah. It was, uh, it was That's amazing. So, but yeah, absolutely. But Woody was great. Um, always Babies. a smile. Always a smile. Never not a smile. Um, always ready to laugh. Um, played guitar, played bass, played keyboards, played saxophone. So. Very, very well-rounded. He was one of the ones that definitely go like, wow, play whatever you put in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, always put a smile on my face. Uh, um, Duncan and Woody were pretty, were very close. Um, I think that they musically thought a lot the same. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely um, was a little, it was a <laughs> different relationship. Duncan was, uh, could have a very serious side to him um not a uh, you know in a, in, a, in a intellectual way of a serious side not mm-hmm. not a, nothing yeah you know he po- he pondered right. things a lot you know, you know what, what does that mm-hmm. mean or what does this mean that um yeah as I mentioned um Derek and Alan probably the quietest uh of the bunch um Alan definitely the most the quiet um Derek was um, yeah. he was definitely uh, and everything that was going on understood the business of it um mm-hmm. kind of like um we always made sure the schedule got kept it was uh, was quiet and very considerate um alan blew me away because he would take a righty base and just flip it over and play lefty and that blew my mind because wow. that's
0: awesome you know, with being a left
1: a lefty yep. base a lefty yeah he did player is fine. They string their guitar for a lefty guitar, and he didn't do that. He took a righty guitar and just turned it upside down. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, no. Nope. But at the same time, he played regular guitar, and that yep. was strung like a lefty would do it. So it, it totally, it totally freaked me out how that would work. But he hmm. did. That's it. a talent. Yeah, because you'd have to, you know, you have to rethink people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, unbelievable. But, uh, but he like would a dyslexic would be bass player um and eric was great oh, wow. Eric uh, could really play the guitar um, i liked his i like his voice a lot because it had a little bit of a uh, uh a little bit of a rougher a little bit of that sandpaper in the tone uh, yeah, and, and, and i liked and i like that a lot yeah um he would write that so sure. he was kind of more uh, more of a rocker and that i think that musically i thought probably thought more like he did than anybody um he had a good sense of humor too, but it didn't always show. Sometimes there was just you just saw a serious side. Uh, but when it came out, he was a, he was a prankster and a jokester too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but over, overall, I, oh, uh, I the, love that. The biggest thing I got mm-hmm. out of it was that they were just actually a joy to be with, even when things were tough. They would always find a lighter side, or it would always be easy. Um, because it's never always all easy. There's, there's, there's conflicts of, there's differences of opinion, what you want to do. There's circumstances yes. that pop up that mm-hmm. like, you know, that are not fun or convenient and you got to mm-hmm. deal with them like some of these gigs right. and that. Um, so there was tough times, but there, you know, I've been through a lot of different bands along the way. And these guys took it um, as light and easy and as professional as any of them that I've ever been around. There's no question about it. really nice to
0: hear. Oh, I, I love to hear that. Yeah. That's, I mean, you may have already told us your well, favorite memory I, of your time. I, I, Maybe it was a cross-country trek. Um,
1: <laughs> or do you have Kevin any other I favorite
0: I memories? Went, uh, went from absolutely loving
1: each other to absolutely hating each other to absolutely loving each other just to get through the whole thing. There's only so much time, two stinking 20-year-olds in the front of a <laughs> truck and do. But that overall yeah. trip, especially ending in Tahoe the way it was, is oh, without yeah. question the fondest. Um, the fondest memory of the whole thing, um, but uh, yeah, I I'd definitely say was that it was the West Coast trip, um, and it was uh, and it was definitely Lake Tahoe. It was that we had a chance to hang out and relax. They they put us up in a, in a we we didn't stay right at the hotel. We actually um, s- stayed across the state line um, in South uh, Lake Tahoe, California. These like ski they're like basically great apartments. So, we that was that was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely it. That was my favorite of the. <laughs>
0: you yeah, definitely he earned all that, and it just sounds like you know it was meant to be, and it all worked out. Okay, so. um our final question: What do you make of us all these years later, still engaged, still a strong community, and creating events I, to bring us all I, together? Still, um, like you say, ways, forty plus years later.
1: Something to really appreciate that I, I know, the uh, you know, with the advent of the internet and how everything's going, and there's uh, there's a website or there's a podcast or there's a group or there's a Facebook group or something for all of this. Now, none of that stuff, um, you know, it was uh, it was years and years after the band was. Mm. Um, the band was done before these things keep out. So the fact that it stayed strong and then yeah. this stuff became available, I think it's really awesome. Why not relive it, live a little youth? But if you get a little too carried away, I think they have medication for that to make sure that you can... <laughs> <laughs> They do. There was a lot. They do,
0: and I think it's Scotch. scotch. It might be Scotch. There was a lot of (laughs)
1: Marlboros, and 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 regular Marlboros weren't enough. They went to 100s because they just three drags that everybody could get out of them. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, it was just unbelievable. But there was you needed three or four more (laughs) puffs after that. I don't know that I drank brown alcohol, brown liquor after that. I stayed with clear stuff.
0: Oh, this, this, oh, this, yeah. definitely and yeah, once, once you puke it up you're children. done <laughs> <No question after. laughs> <It's> done forever <laughs> oh dear well Brian thank you so much um, you'll have to come find no us problem. at a show or an event one day and see how to, we all uh, turned out. Back, um, <laughs>
1: I know you can't see it, but you know, hopefully you can hear it on my voice. There's been a smile on my face this whole time. It was great to relive a lot of the stuff. We're a smile. Um, right it was with a, fun, you. Time and a um, fun time in my life. It was a fun time with good friends. It was a fun time with good music. So I hope, um, you know, if anybody can take a little bit of something out of it and that can put a smile on their face, then it was all, you know, then it was my pleasure to be able to do this with you guys today. Thank you
0: so much. We appreciate it. We definitely accomplished that. Thank you so much, Brian. Bye now. Thank you, Brian. You certainly did put a smile on our faces. We hope you all enjoyed Brian's memories. What a treat to learn more about that era of the rollers that maybe isn't all that known or talked about. We really enjoyed talking to him. We especially loved hearing from an industry person what consummate and professional musicians the rollers were. We never doubted it, did we? Well, friends, thank you all for listening, and as always, keep on rolling.